Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Jehokov, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening where we continue our reflections into this special topic of mercy. And as we have been treating this special topic of mercy, we have been going through the spiritual works of mercy, huh? And God willing, I, I think we will be able to wrap up our reflection into the spiritual works of mercy this evening. And by the way, if you are tuning in by way of podcast in the countries of Canada and Mexico, I just want to continue to especially recognize you as well as Brazil uh, and Chile. I see that a number of you are listening by way of podcast, and I do appreciate that. I appreciate you um, and all of the observations uh, you make and the emails you send to me. They really have helped me to continue to try to make this program the best possible program for you, the listeners. So uh, anyhow, with that, the sixth spiritual work of mercy, huh? forgive offenses willingly. Now, Forgiveness is something we have already touched upon, but as I noted in our initial treatment of forgiveness, there is more to be discussed, to the least of which is how forgiveness is often rejected because of anger, huh? And it would appear that anger is rooted in two things. First, that the call to forgive implies some dishonoring or some diminishing of the pain or injustice someone has experienced, and second, that it implies there is a requirement to stay in or resume relationships that are poisonous or dysfunctional. Um, But forgiveness does not necessarily imply to either of these. Forgiveness is often, I think, a concept that is misunderstood more than it is understood. Uh, Many people interpret it to mean that they must stop having negative feelings right away about something that has happened to them or towards someone who has hurt them. Many of friends, those feelings will not change overnight, and we have to uh, take a step back and appreciate that for what it is. While, though, in saying that, they should change over time as a reflection of God living within them. But again, this takes time. Many also think of forgiveness as a work they must do out of their own power rather than as a gift to be received from God. As noted in the past, we must remember, and we really talked about this when we were reflecting to the Our Father, huh? that forgiveness is a work of God within us, whereby God acts to free us from the poisonous effects of bitterness and, and grief that often accompany the harm that was inflicted upon us. As a divine act, my friends, forgiveness is the fruit of our participation in the redemptive love of Christ. Remember that passage that comes to us from Colossians 1.24 that we share in the great mystery of the sufferings of Christ, and that when we offer up to God our suffering, we actually share in the redemptive love of Christ. My dear friends, that's right out of sacred scripture, huh? Colossians 1.24. If you have never read Colossians 1.24, and you are hearing about this passage for the first time, I really encourage you to go home, and if you already are home, pull out your Bible and read Colossians 1.24. This call we have as members of the larger body of Christ to offer up our sufferings for the sake of the body of Christ. 
God will take our suffering and actually use it for the greater glory of God. So once we allow God in, as relates to forgiveness, the bitterness and grief over time begins to dissipate, huh? My dear friends, time is our ally if we let God in. Huh? Time is our ally if we let God in. We've talked about the concept of time as relates to Kronos and Kairos. Kronos is man's time. Kairos is God's time, grace time, purpose-driven time. Once we allow Kairos to invade our Kronos, that time we put into our iPhones and iPads, once we allow God's time to invade our concept of time, God does extraordinary things. Extraordinary things. Now, that being said, forgiveness is also a letting go of the need to change the past. Obviously, we cannot change the past. We cannot change what has happened. But we too easily think that ruminating over past hurts will will somehow change what has happened or even get back at the other person. But my dear friends, you and I both know it will not clinging to our hurt, clinging to our anger, understandable though it may be, only harms us, only harms us. So we are also to see then, really, forgiveness is first for us, is it not? More so than for the other person. In calling us to forgive, God is offering us the gift to be free of a great deal of poison, and of a costly emotional state that robs us of joy and strength. As it was observed by one priest, (laughs) carrying anger and hurt is a lot like lugging around bowling balls all day long. (laughs) What a relief it is to just be free of that weight. And this is what God offers when he gives us the grace to forgive, to let go of the need to change the past, huh? to let go of the desire for others to suffer because of what they have done to us. What does scripture tell us in Romans chapter 12, verse 18? If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Amen. So, how is the forgiving of injuries a spiritual work of mercy? Well, first of all, as we have seen, It is a work of mercy towards our very self. Brothers and sisters, nursing grudges saps us of our strength. It stresses us. It vexes us. And above all else, we should be reminded that God doesn't hold grudges, right? So receiving the gift to forgive is first a mercy for us as it relieves us of these burdens. And moreover, our strength and energy can be then directed to other and better things. (laughs) And because our strength is directed to do good and profitable things, we are now better able to love and be available to others, right? This too is a great mercy. It is not always the case that the harm to us is so great that we cannot be restored to a relationship with those who have harmed us. In point of fact, it should be the majority pending the situation. Now, forgiving injuries is also a work of mercy to the one who has harmed us, right? Because it can restore them to a right relationship with us that might be important to them, that ought to be important to them. It is a very great gift to offer mercy and pardon to one who has harmed us and ultimately 
seeks our forgiveness. To every act of forgiveness, there's always two ways, huh? Now, while in moments of grave harm, it may be difficult to access, but always pray for this gift. Almost nothing is more poisonous, both to us and others, than festering anger and resentment. Thus, to forgive injuries is a great healing gift to receive from God and sometimes draws us so deep into the mystery and heart of God, it really becomes one of those great conversion moments in our life. You know, within the Catholic Church, we have a great number of models to learn from in the area of forgiveness, and certainly St. Maria Goretti is one of those examples. St. Maria Goretti is unique in that she is the youngest canonized saint in the Catholic Church. She died tragically on July 6, 1902, at the age of 11. And just a brief snapshot of her story. When Maria was nine, her father died tragically, and it fell to her at that time to raise her five siblings while her mother worked the fields to produce the crops with which they would both pay the rent and feed themselves. As you can well imagine, this was a terrible time of trial and suffering for the whole family. For Maria, it was especially difficult. Aside from having responsibility, the responsibility of caring for her family, she also had to cook and clean for her two next-door neighbors, one of which was for a man by the name of Alessandro. Now, Alessandro assisted her mother with the farm tasks, but over time, this Alessandro would begin to develop a, well, we could call it an impure liking for Maria, huh? Alessandro, this very large 20-year-old man, would say very rude and crude things to her, things that were very inappropriate and certainly embarrassing, and that ultimately would lead her to run away. However, at a certain point, he began to make direct sexual advances towards her, demanding her virginity and threatening her at times with violence for noncompliance. Finally, after many months of this, as the story is told, Alessandro forced himself upon Maria in an attempt to rape her. Though she prevented him from violating her, Alessandro brutally stabbed her numerous times. And Maria died the next day, that is Maria Goretti, died the next day in the midst of horrendous infection brought on by her lacerations. Her last words were, I forgive Alessandro Serenelli and I want him with me in heaven forever. Wow. And again, as the story is told during his prison sentence, Maria appeared to Alessandro and forgave him. That act of mercy, that act of love filled Alessandro with such contrition for his crime that it would ultimately be a point of conversion for him, as he in time, in reflection upon that encounter, would repent of his sin in particular, what he did to St. Maria Gretti. And from that point on, beyond his initial conversion, he lived a beautiful and converted life of holiness, eventually, strikingly so, becoming a Franciscan lay brother. John Paul II, during his canonization homily at Mass, had this to say of this great saint. Those who were acquainted with little Maria said on the day of her funeral, a saint has died. Have we heard that before? <laughs> and this is not uncommon among the holy ones, among the saints, because 
Well, what does holiness mean? To be set apart. People recognize saints. Why? Because they are set apart. They live a life that is just simply, my friends, different. So John Paul II would go on to say, the devotion to her has continued to spread on every continent, giving rise to admiration and a thirst for God everywhere. In Maria Gretti, shines out the radical choice of the gospel, unhindered, indeed strengthened by the inevitable sacrifice that faithful adherence to Christ demands. My dear friends, suffering and forgiveness speaks to the heights of the gospel, and in this sixth spiritual work of mercy, we are to ascend to these heights, the heights of willingly forgiving the one who has harmed us, who has hurt us. Amen to that. Now, how about this last spiritual work of mercy? Pray for the living and the dead. Now, to treat this properly, we should first offer up a word about prayer itself. What is the value of prayer? Prayer changes things, my friends. (laughs) Sometimes in obvious ways, more often in subtle and even paradoxical ways. Down deep, we recognize the value of prayer even when we don't experience its immediate effects. This is why Jesus taught us to pray always and to never lose heart, right? In Luke chapter 18, verse 1. What does Paul say in his first letter to the church of Thessalonica in chapter 5, verse 17? Pray without ceasing. And what does that mean, by the way, pray without ceasing? A question we should ask, given the nature of really what this last work of mercy is all about, praying for the living and the dead. I cannot help but think of a story that I like to share um, wherever I go and whenever I talk about prayer. (laughs) Almost two decades ago, I had the pleasure of attending a talk by a couple who had been married for 75 years. 75 years. After giving a brief life history of the long-ago high school sweethearts, now in their 90s, the MC asked the questions most people in attendance had on their minds. How have you been able to do it? How have you persisted in a marriage that sustains its beauty? How are you able to continue to care for one another? As the MC finished, the wife grabbed the microphone and with reverberating power answered, we are still getting to know each other. The silence of the several thousand people gathered was remarkable, my friends. They would go on, over the course of these 75 years, we have managed to find ways to surprise each other every day. Wow. You know, with the wife's words fresh in my mind, I recall leaving the building and heading over to the nearby chapel to just give thanks to God. To just give thanks to God. Why? This elderly woman, in an instant, supplied the answer to a question about prayer and the journey of faith with which I had long been struggling. Her perspective on marriage gave me the key to unlock the mystery behind prayer. And what was that key? Well, relationship. Relationship. In all my questioning up to that point, no one had mentioned this simple word. And when I finally heard it, I was overwhelmingly grateful. This framework very much gave me a very real point of reference in my understanding of prayer and its purpose, to enter into a real uh, life-giving relationship with God, and one that is filled with the listen-response dialogue that is so important in any relationship. So my friends, prayer is about 
the listen-response dialogue where we enter into a deeper courtship with God. And for Catholics, what does this mean? This means that the Eucharist is the high point of our lives because in this sacrament, what do we experience? But union, oneness in body and soul, if you will, with Christ. In the Eucharist, we could properly say our courtship is consummated, right? And in so many ways does the Eucharist give shape to all other aspects of our relationship with Christ. The formal prayer of the Eucharist envelops, sustains, and gives meaning to all of our informal moments, if you will, with the Lord. In this sense, we could properly say that the formal guides and instructs the informal. And when we struggle to pray informally, oftentimes the formal prayers of the church, such as the Mass, uh, popular devotions, the divine office, and those prayers that our parents taught us as children help us to, what, but reignite the spontaneous prayer that we so often neglect. Could we not say that so much can be learned from thinking of our relationship with God in prayer analogous to our human relationships? I mean, think about it. Going on dates is a formal expression of the couple's love that gives shape to the perpetual courtship with our beloved, right? In turn, these formal, very concrete experiences, we can say, do what? But foster and promote the informal, if you will, unplanned moments together. Both teach us that we are what? What did that couple say? Still getting to know each other. That being said, perhaps one of the greatest joys of heaven <laughs> will be seeing how much of a difference our prayers made. Even the distracted and, and perfunctory ones. Perhaps, perhaps, our simple utterance at the end of a decade of the rosary to save us from the fires of hell and lead all souls to heaven will reach the heart of one lost soul, prompting him to answer the gentle call of God to return to his heart. I mean, imagine that in heaven, the very sinner comes up to you and says something like, Though we never met, your prayer reached me, and God applied his power to me. Imagine the joy of many such meetings in heaven. Imagine, too, whom you will joyfully thank for their prayers, people you know and people you don't know. But they prayed, and the power of their prayers reached you. Fascinating to think about. So to pray for the living and the dead is a great and wondrous spiritual work of mercy. Its value is beyond gold. Its value is beyond pearls. I think St. James in his epistle very much speaks to the value. If you were to go to chapter 5, verse 16, what does he say? The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man is powerful in its effects. Hmm. Powerful how? Brothers and sisters, prayer averts wars. Prayer brings healing. Prayer causes conversion. Prayer bestows peace and serenity. Prayer brings down mercy, sweet, necessary, and beautiful mercy. The value of prayer is inexhaustible. Now, what's interesting, <laughs> praying for the dead, however, is a part of this work of mercy that has probably suffered in recent decades, if not the whole last century. <laughs> you know, I, I find it interesting that after a loved one dies, there are often immediate declarations that the deceased are what? In heaven or 
or are in a better place. But Scripture doesn't say that we go right to heaven when we die. Scripture doesn't say that we are just beamed up to heaven. No, there is a stopover, and we call that stopover the judgment seat of Christ. And this is a very important point to this spiritual work of mercy. What is said in the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 27? It is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes what? Judgment. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due to us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So our deceased loved ones go to the judgment seat of Christ, huh? And that, my friends, is worth praying for. That, my friends, is worth praying about. But what is the judgment in question for those who lived faithful lives? In such cases, the judgment is not merely about the ultimate destination, maybe, of heaven or hell, but the judgment in question would seem to be, is my work in you complete? Indeed, the Lord has made all of us a promise. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is a beautiful promise. And for most of us, we know that we are not in such a state now, if we were to die today, that we would be beamed up to heaven. There is still work to be done. And thus we send our faithful loved ones to judgment, though we send them with hope, aware that finishing work may be necessary. Why? Because purgation and purification are necessary before entering heaven of which Scripture says in Revelation 21, 27, nothing impure will ever enter it. Again, this is worth praying about. It is a great work of mercy we can extend to our deceased loved ones to pray for them, and we should be praying often for the souls in purgatory. Surely there are joys there for them, knowing that they are on their way to heaven. But surely, too, we know there are sufferings that purgation must cause. St. Paul says of purgatory in his classic passage that comes to us from his letter to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 13 to 15, each one's work will become manifest for the day, day capitalized, right, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a ward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though himself will be saved, but only through fire. Do you see what's going on there? He will be saved, but only through fire. Yes, there is fire, my friends, but thank God it is a healing fire. And there are tears too. (laughs) What does Scripture say? In Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, that Jesus will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Brothers and sisters, how consoling and merciful our prayers must seem to our beloved who have died. How prayers must seem like a gentle wind that speeds them along onward and upward toward heaven. Praying for the dead, then we could properly say, is the last and great spiritual work of mercy. 
For by the grace of it and through its help, souls attain the glory God has prepared for them from the foundation of the world. Beautiful, beautiful. You know, what have we said about the relationship between the corporal works of mercy and the spiritual works of mercy? Huh? Just as the corporal works of mercy serve the humanly dimension of man, so do the spiritual works of mercy serve the spiritual dimension of man. Right? We are body and soul. Huh? We are body and soul. As one priest talked about it, the arms and the hands and the feet and the legs are for the corporal works of mercy, and the heart is for the spiritual works of mercy. Not that the spiritual works of mercy uh, neglect our faculties and that the corporal works of mercy neglect the heart, but it's an important juxtaposition to, to appreciate, really. So I'm looking up when we are out of time. My dear friends, it really has been a pleasure to go through these corporal and spiritual works of mercy in all of their detail, and I very much uh, hope they have been helpful for you. If you have any questions, comments, and observations about the corporal and spiritual works of mercy, please don't hesitate to email me at jholljmj at yahoo.com, and, and you can also go to my website at joholcraft.org, spelled J-O-E-H-O-L-L, craft.org, and you can send your message on its way, your observation on its way. We will continue to reflect upon this great theme of mercy. We have done more than just talk about the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. I know we have also talked about the larger biblical vision of mercy, and we will continue to reflect into this many-splendored thing we call mercy in future weeks. So with that, let us go ahead and close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you a special thanks and praise for the greatness of your mercy, uh, your second name, your chief attribute. We are in deep gratitude for the greatness of your love, for the greatness in how you meet us in our suffering, for how you meet us in our poverty. Um, we can never be thankful enough. So um, our prayer uh, this evening is one of gratitude, of just being thankful for the gift of your mercy. And we close with the words that you taught us, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.